for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So for framing this message, um, I thought it would be good to kind of raise a couple of things now. Um, The first is that this passage doesn't really mention Jesus. Um, James kind of says it in passing is a good thing we can say, but other than that, it's clearly a teaching passage. Um, for that reason, I want to make it really clear that it's really caught up um, in this. It's really easy to get caught up in this, like a list of rules for how to live the Christian life and what that should look like. And I don't want the takeaway from this message to be simply that Christians say nice things and aren't mean. We don't get our identity from what we do. We are Christians because we know Jesus and believe in his resurrection. Our identity is in our place as children of God. And so this, the teaching, happens as a result of knowing our identity and wanting others to know it too. Well, so James begins this with a great warning for teachers. Yay, good people in the room who are teachers. Um, and that's just great when you're like brand new to the whole preaching thing. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm like a fan of learning from experts, but unfortunately you guys got me today. So um, hopefully I'm not guiding you in the wrong direction, but um, grace, lots of grace. Um, and thirdly, I also read once that it's impossible for us to picture, mentally picture um, something not doing something. Um, so instead of saying, don't do this, don't do that, we should be like, do this instead. Um, so I don't actually know if that's true or not, but um, I think it's quite a good thing um, to think about. So maybe when we go through this, um, just keep in mind that um, this isn't a list of things not to do, but rather focus on maybe what you, we should be doing in this place. Um, the good thing is, is that James gives up like a thousand different pictures in this passage, and we can look at these passages um, and at these pictures to gain insight for our lives. And my hope is that there's something here that we can pick up for our journey that helps us be better disciples of Christ. So, ultimately what I think this passage comes down to is that our words are powerful and that it's easy to cause hurt with them. But if we're found in Christ, we should be finding ways to use our words to reveal the mystery of what we believe. And there's three particular aspects of our words that I think James talks about here. 
First is that our words can destroy us and others. The second is that our words can guide us. And the third is that our words reveal our heart and in doing so should reveal God's heart. I changed around the order of these and I've like realised that I never changed the like intro bit into the thing. Anyway, first thing, our words can destroy us and others. Um, James gets, I'm going to start in the middle of the passage um, where James gets like a little bit dark. Um, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So it gets quite intense. It's fine. Um, But interestingly, the way that James talks about the tongue is as if it has its mind and will of its own. He disassociates it from the rest of the body as if the mind of the person that caused the speech isn't actually responsible for the end result. In fact, in the next verse, he talks about the tongue as if it's like an untamable animal. If we take these pictures collectively, we see something pretty clear. The consequences of what we say can be far-reaching and can be destructive. We see the disproportionate effect of our words. Even a small spark can start a large fire. Even one sentence can cause real hurt. When I lived in Cuba Street Chapter, um, every now and then we would have these fun days, and fun days were sometimes fun, and sometimes (laughs) they just became a really great opportunity for all these things that were kind of bubbling under the surface to come to a head (laughs) and then we need to do some real conflict to get back on track and I remember one time where things had been pretty good and the day had actually been lots of fun Um, and then I was getting really tired and the general vibe of all of us in the chapter were just that we'd head home now Um, but there was one person and I've double checked that they're okay with me sharing the story Um, But there was one person who wanted to do something else and I just kind of turned to her and I was like, oh, just suck it up and go with the group. And I knew enough about that person's story to know that saying that was way harsh, Um, like even for, like, yeah, so it was like, it really hit on a nerve and I knew that I was poking a wound. And it was something that I really needed to take responsibility for, so we went up to the top room at Cuba Street, Um, (laughs) had some good chats over a tea, hugged it out, and uh, I still really think we need some Polaroid cameras up there to like figure out all the different conflicts that have gone on and see how we're all friends again. Um, but yeah, too often I think about the way, um, I think we talk about the way um, people react to what we say rather than think about how we might say it and how best we can say it, knowing what we know about the people who are going to hear it. In that situation, I really should have known better and I needed to take responsibility for the fact that I said something that really hurt her. We act as if our words are out of our control as soon as we say them. Sometimes we blame others for the harm they might cause us, but we'll do anything to diminish our role in causing harm to others. And too often when we're speaking to each other's hurts, we're not thinking about how we can reduce that harm. It's their fault they took it the wrong way. It's not how we meant it. And if they can't see that, that's not my problem. Our culture tells us that we are only responsible for ourselves. On some level, that's really, really healthy. But on another level, I think it's really toxic. I um, like the spin-off because they think like me. (laughs) Um, And 
one of the guys who writes every now and then for the, um, the spin-off is a guy called Graham Bidwell Cameron, and he um, used to be part of UV, just a cool guy who lives up in Tauranga. Um, and in the context of the whole censorship, free speech debate around Lauren Southern and Stephen Millenia who wrote this. Having boundaries on what can be said where is not about fear, it is about whakafanonatanga. Recognition that I do not exist independent of health and functional communities. I need to engage my brain to protect the relationships that bind us together. It's called a social contract. I know that we're not going to get this right a lot of the times. I know that the example I gave, I should have known better, but there's a lot of times where we just don't know the pain that we're um, poking with our words. But that's why it's so important that we also learn together about one another's stories so we can know where those wounds are. We can't always know how people will respond, but we can do our best to use our words to build up relationships. In our seasonal guide group, shout out. Um, yeah, they, they're really useful in helping me workshop these chats, eh? It's really good. Um, we spoke about how it's actually something distinct to use our words to build people up as opposed to um, just not using our words to tear people down. Ultimately, we face these things because we hold together as believers in the family of God. We are better when we live out our lives with one another and when we deal with both the conflict and reconciliation with grace. The other part of knowing that our words can destroy is that they can destroy us. So I think it's really important that we do the work to know where our hurts are. Without this, we stop ourselves moving forward, which leads nicely into my second point, that our words guide us. So jumping back to the beginning of the passage, James begins this teaching with probably two um, quite easy to understand metaphors. Um, there's a bit in the mouth of a horse that guides the whole animal, and then there's a ship that's guided by a rudder. And then he says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So again, we see that theme in this passage, that something so small and seemingly insignificant actually is something very powerful. And these first two metaphors not only show that words can take us forward or pull us backwards, but that also our words can take us in whatever direction, fast or slow. Our words in these images are tools, and I think that's good news for us. The point I want to make here is that what I say about myself today shapes who I am tomorrow. My self-talk, my internal monologue is an incredibly powerful thing and this is so dovetailed so nicely with what Jeremy shared around soul tour. Um, I think so often we believe lies about our, ourselves that go to our very core. And I know that um, over the last five or six years, I've been on my own journey of um, figuring out what those lies were for me um, and confessing some of them to God and to my friends and my family and those who I trust. And it's really funny because once you confess it, you kind of realise how stupid it actually is. Like, oh, how could I ever believe that about myself? But, um, yeah, you can point to really tangible things that can show that that's a lie once you say it. But it still takes time, even now, to counter 
um, destructive thoughts with the truth. Like the ship going one degree out from its course, our words unchecked can take us in a completely different direction to where we want to go, and we can end up somewhere where we don't want to be. Making a mid-course direction isn't always easy. Um, I was dog-sitting earlier this year for my sister, and um, Mia gets walked along the south coast, which is beautiful. It was a beautiful sunny day, and she was like looking at the beach and being like, please take me to the beach. Um, But I didn't want to let her off her leash because I was really scared that she wouldn't come back to me because I'm not her owner. Um, So I was just like going along my merry way, and she just started like holding her ground. And she's not like a huge dog, but she's you know, she's big enough that she could like stay there and I was kind of just yanked across and I couldn't move and I was like, oh Mia. Um, but I actually had to like grab her. It was really awkward. There were people and they thought I was probably really mean. Um, I had to like kind of grab her and like lift her and guide her to like keep moving because she was just like, I just want to be at the beach. Um, and I feel like sometimes we have to kind of do that with our self-talk sometimes. Like we have to just kind of be like, no, I'm no longer going to think that lie. I'm just going to keep telling myself the truth until it is something that I actually believe. And I remember my counsellor saying once to me that sometimes we just have to fake it till we make it with our self-talk. We have to go to the lies, speak the truth about ourselves, even when it doesn't feel like the truth. Even though it feels stupid, even though it feels overly simplified, just speak out the truth. And I think um, looking in our Psalms, we see so many examples of people who are in a place and yet still speak out the truth and praise God. Um, And I really love Psalm 43 for that, um, which ends with this couplet, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation. I don't really think the writer felt like praise in that moment. I think they were still pretty downcast. But then eventually our mouths proclaim the truth and then our hearts know it. And I just also want to say, if you struggle with this, please get the help that you need to help it make it a bit easier. So we're here to pray for you and listen to you And if you don't know what the truth is that you need to hear, find someone you trust and talk to them. I'm a huge fan of counselling. We already plugged Soul Tour today. (laughs) Um, So the last metaphor uh, James uses is that of a spring and a tree. And I think my third point is that our words reveal our heart and should also reveal the Father's heart. So the spring and the tree demonstrate that from the same shore source we shouldn't bring, be bringing forth both life and death. What we do or say or what we don't tell a story about who we are and what we value. And James points out how ridiculous it is that we sing praise to God on a Sunday and then go about our lives on Monday as if we weren't you know, just a completely different person. This was always reduced in youth group um, to make the point that I shouldn't swear or gossip. Um, and I think there's something, like, I mean, that might be good, it's good, but um, I think there's something more here in this, that there's something really powerful and telling 
if we are the same person we are here on a Sunday that we are at work or at uni or wherever we are on a Monday, um, same on a Thursday night as we are on a Sunday night. Um, you know, we know that one of the biggest things that people who don't go to church think about Christians is that it's just full of hypocrisy. And I think, yeah, we really do need to work on, on just being the same person the same way. But in thinking of a fruit of a tree, I found this quite difficult because the words we speak are only the tip of the iceberg. They're a symptom of a deeper reality. A spring doesn't bubble up salt water unless there is salt somewhere in the water table contaminating the water. And a fig tree can't actually produce olives. If we see a fig tree producing olives, we're not botanists, we've got it wrong, it's an olive tree. <laughs> I'm trying to be really careful here because I think if we run with this metaphor too long, we kind of get into trouble thinking that there's no option to change. Um, how do we get back to fresh water? How do we change from being an olive tree? I fundamentally believe that everybody is redeemable, but stopping the symptoms doesn't solve the real problem. So instead we just need to accept that we have both good and bad in us. We could spend our time thinking about our words, and I've said in this thing that we should, but if we focus solely on this without the deeper work of finding Jesus and having him transform our lives, We're not living out of our true identity. We're just leaving a lid on something that eventually will explode. If our heart reflects Jesus' heart, our words can't help but be redeeming and revealing of the love of God. In many ways, the other two points we've made are subject to this. If we want our words to guide us to the right place, we need to know who our Father is and where he is taking us. If we want our words to build up and not destroy, we need to be found in Christ with his words. If we want our words to reveal a life we want to share, we need to have a life we want to share in Christ. And this ties back to something that I said at the very beginning, that although James doesn't really mention Jesus in this passage, the whole message of this is not that we are saved because of our work, because we don't swear and we talk nicely to other people. But because we are saved, let us work for the kingdom. To conclude, I just want to do a quick reminder of something from the beginning of this passage. When James teaches us about using our words to build up and not destroy ourselves or others, or about being consistent in the way we talk, it's really important to remember that he also says at the beginning that nobody is perfect. And it is normal to stumble and to mess up. A horse needs to be trained, a captain captain learns how to sail a ship through wind. There is second, third, fourth chances in God to be made new. Fires can be controlled, new fruit can be brought forth. Let's pray.